folks here with just two-thirds of the real weirdos and a hundred percent of the ethnicity in this group exactly (laughs) is me and uh my co-host alex hello hello everyone we are jesse-less today which uh we decided to seize the opportunity and i kind of felt jealous you know you and jesse were recording all these book report episodes and Mm -hmm. you know stargate and and some, uh, you just did the beach recently, which will be coming out soon. Spoilers. Always so, the bridesmaid, eh? Yeah, I know. So I just felt like I was so <laughs> jealous. I was like, no, we have to start a whole new segment together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think it's great. But so that's what we're doing. Yeah. First time TV reviews for the real weirdos. Yeah. yeah it's a little bit of a detraction from our normal format as movie reviewing white boys but you know two-thirds of us enjoy television as much as movies Mm -hmm. so we figured uh what better way to talk about movies than to do it while recording and it always seeps into the main cast doesn't it like we always end up either recommending tv shows or like talking about tv shows like the young doctor's notebook or i'll talk about like ozarks or something and it's funny because it doesn't make me angry that our main house Jesse, the other third of the real weirdos, doesn't watch TV. It just, he has like th- such a voracious appetite for analyzing stuff that I feel like he'd be perfect for TV. And it sucks when I watch a TV show and I want to share it with him, but he has that just quest of decade long movies he's going through right now, you know? The history of cinema, if you will. So yeah, that's definitely where his focus is. So yeah, I know it's a bummer because like it's just referential as well because like you, you right? TV shows have really taken a different tone, especially HBO shows. But, oh yeah, which is what we're going to be talking about today. But television in general has kind of just taken this this shift in tone and everything. Just where I think before, where you had great television like Star Trek. Which mm-hmm. had these little like self-contained stories and maybe like yeah. a couple episodes that like that move over to another, but really like the continuation of a long story, something like Lost, which is another oh, like, yeah. older kind of like big narrative, long multi-seasonal narrative show, you know, tended to lose the thread eventually. They did, and yeah, and they kind of started to sabotage themselves. With I mean, their lost. Own kind of, yeah, I mean, lost. <laughs> this is like, a perfect example. What the hell? Like, well, you kind of start sabotaging yourself with your own ideas, and television kind of felt that way for a while. And then once television became Netflix, became streaming services, it seemed like a little bit of the the pressure was taken off to make these like self-contained syndicated episodes yet still trying to keep a narrative where now it kind of feels like there's a little more freedom to to have a much larger story going on because you know that you have the production quality you know you have like the money that the personnel too right yeah the people who are good at making those little snippets of like get me 70 million viewers tonight on friday 
are different than the people who are like, okay, we gave you an arena and you are an artist. We'll let you do your thing. You know, we'll give you this amount of money and we'll give you basically six movie lengths, not six movie lengths. Let's say they're about an hour, right? So like six mini movies, most of the time of what you want to do. And I feel like that is just, it's just open the floodgates for television. You know, if you even want to call it television still when it comes to streaming services, that's a whole different argument, though. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge semantics argument. But yeah, I still I just call anything that's not movies television. Yeah. Unless it's on YouTube and then it's, you know, specifically like a YouTube series, which I still don't know why I put that moniker on them. No, yeah, uh, I mean, that stuff is starting to come up, too. I remember the Cobra Kai, like, Karate Kid thing that was on YouTube for a while, and then it, I think it moved over to Netflix eventually, but... Yeah, it became a Netflix show. Yeah, a lot of stuff is, like, happening in that pathway, and, you know, YouTube, there's some great, like, fan movies that are out on YouTube, but mm-hmm. I digress. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're starting this with what I feel is... HBO, I think, is the best at what we're talking about. I think they're able to self-contained stories to six, eight episodes and make them feel satisfying. And the show that we're talking about, Chernobyl, Uh is, I think, the perfect example of that and really the best way to launch this new little segment because Chernobyl, I think... I mean, would you agree, Alex, that Chernobyl is pretty close to a perfect show? I would, actually, yeah. Um, This show... Well, HBO has like other shows that are closer to my heart and maybe are closer to critics' hearts. I think this show encapsulates exactly what television should do and needs to do going into the future. I think this is the like, this is one of like, I don't, I don't know, like Chernobyl for me is a signpost in the history of television that people 50 years from now will look back on and be like, okay, this is when this started. This is when this good aspect of this genre and medium really started its new step into like this new world of television. So for me, Chernobyl is, yes, almost a perfect show. Music, yeah. cast, direction. I mean, we'll get deep into all that stuff, but yeah. yes, it is a perfect show and i wanted to ask you a question actually about it because you were always into the mythology and the folklore aspect and the factual historical count of chernobyl right yes definitely okay weird morbid fantasies i mean so it it is fantasy is not the right word it is kind of it was a niche like thing for a while right to be kind of into or like to know about and stuff like that i I mean i mean i remember my first forays into the internet and finding out about it and being like holy shit like this is insane you know but i i i think this show was able to make it so people like even you and me or people not like you and me excuse me would be able to enjoy this and be like all of a sudden there's a huge explosion of people that know everything about chernobyl because of this show Oh, 100%. Yeah, this show definitely sparked an interest in the disaster itself. I mean, I was always a, a kind of had a morbid fascination, not fantasy. That's the word I was thinking of before. Yeah. Uh, with this event, uh, because, you know, uh, my mom was, you know, used to talk about like the, the anti-nuclear protests that she was about. And she always referenced when I would ask like, oh, why didn't you want this nuclear power plant to be built? And she was like, well, you know, Chernobyl happened in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of sparked this interest in like, 
Chernobyl, okay, what is that? And then I read a short story uh, about, I think it was one of like the inspirations for the Stalker video game series. Oh, okay. Uh, about just like a, like a ghost of in Pripyat, the uh, town uh, outside uh, of Chernobyl. Yeah. And it, that setting that all of a sudden Pripyat became this like very like weird fascination of mine, this idea of this ghost town, this ghost city of just like, high-rise apartment buildings that have nothing and nobody in them and the whole place is just poisoned and from there like my little storytelling brain started to take off and and I just became interested and yeah and then the show came around and I think it kind of perfectly hit all of the aesthetics mm-hmm. that not the aesthetics because you don't really see that until later in the show it has the eastern block chic for yeah. sure <laughs> yeah it's just you can kind of see like what it was before and like how and i really like that about the show is they introduce and i guess it's the perfect time to introduce the show yeah as well you know it's like the first episode we uh it starts with Valery Legasov. Now, all the characters in this show are, you know, based on actual people, except for uh, Ulana Hyomyuk. Who she is a is, composite, right? Yeah, she is a composite. She's played by Emily Watson. She's a composite of all the scientists that helped Valery Legasov uh, solve the Chernobyl situation. But instead of casting many, 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 many people, they decided to compress all of those scientists into one character, Hyomyuk. And yeah. she's a fantastic character, and we'll get to her. But she appears a little later. Yeah, so that first episode, I feel like going right into it, it's it, it's the disaster, right? It's like the... Well, the first scene is the uh, suicide of Valeria Legasov, which Yikes. I believe, which yeah, they kind of Quentin Tarantino'd the uh, the series. They start oh, for with sure. this uh, suicide of uh, the main scientist Valeria Legasov. I'm gonna say his name a lot, so or just call him Valeria eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, played by Jared Harris, fantastic actor, yeah. crushed the role. I mean, we can just go without saying that every actor in this destroyed. Yeah the roles I mean, that they did. They were amazing. He definitely got chops from his dad as far as acting yes. goes. Like, Who's his dad? Richard Harris. Oh, wow. Dumbledore, even... first two movies, yep. and uh, of I course... I didn't even realize that. Caesar in uh, yeah, Gladiator. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, when, yeah, that, that, when <laughs> you look at him act every once in a while, you can kind of see it, and you're like, oh, You can kind of okay. catch it. Yeah, see, I, I'm, I'm sure if I knew that beforehand, I would have saw it. But, uh, but yeah, so it starts with his suicide and him finishing the, the tapes that he had recorded detailing the events of the disaster and its solution. Uh, Obviously a dangerous operation in the time, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and he's, high, he's followed by the KGB. Mm-hmm. And so he hides these tapes and in a, like a brick wall or something in the beginning, smokes a cigarette and sets out a bunch of food for his cat. Yeah. And then just hangs himself. And that is how we start this series. So it starts on a very classic HBO kind of like dark and dour note, which yeah. I think is very spe- very specific to the, the tone of this show. Blue green color scale almost, you know, very, very dark yeah well this yeah this movie keeps with the oh uh, yeah the russian color palette quite well yes gray is a very prominent color in this <laughs> uh in this show we'll get into like you know the response of 
from Russia about this show and the implications of propaganda and all that later. But, you know, just we're talking about it as just a piece of content Mm -hmm. as of now. And uh, so, yeah, it's a great. And then we start the actual show, I believe, with them. uh, The alarm is going off. Yeah, Correct. they're doing a safety test in the reactor room. It, I think yeah, we're we're shown that the the um, the engineers in the room and what they're doing, mm-hmm. and a really yeah, important the going off. It's yeah, dark. really important point about the show is that perspective and what we see is going to help mold the narrative. What we as the audience are shown and the order we're shown it in. And this is the first example of that. I mean, it's like, we know what's going on. We are in the room, but the show is an unraveling about what happened at this event. So we are almost along the ride with the investigators, with Legasov, and with all of the engineers and Dyatlov, the engineer supervisor who was working that night, right? So it's really cool how the show does this thing where it's like yeah it's a nuclear disaster but it's not just for people who are nerds about science or things like that right it sets up this thing that i call the why should i care factor in a tv show Mm -hmm. where it's like i don't need to know anything about this historical event and automatically it's like i'm hooked in and this show does that perfectly Oh, I agree. I think it's even better if you don't know that much about Chernobyl. I don't. I didn't know about RBMK reactors oh, yeah. and positive void coefficients before <laughs> this show. I mean, I knew, I knew about like I had my more fascination was with the aftermath of Chernobyl, like the exclusion zone and stuff like that. Like I didn't know exactly like the the cover ups and all that. Like this show definitely unveiled all of that information. So it's. It's actually better if you didn't know that because you get to, like you said, you get to go along for the ride with these people where you're like, it's almost one of those shows where you know what happens. You know that they contain it because Mm -hmm. it's 20, it was made in like 2019 or something. Yeah. Like, you know, it's this century and the world isn't a nuclear disaster. You know what I mean? So we know that we know the ending already. We know they figure it out. But yet the show is so compelling, it makes you feel like they're not going to figure it out constantly. You feel the same levels almost of fear, not the same, obviously, but like you feel these intense levels of fear because you're like, oh no, this solution that they tried didn't work. And now what are they going to do if it melts through the ground layer of concrete and poisons the water supply? You're like, no, but that didn't happen Mm -hmm. because it would be in our history books and we would have learned about it. So it's just, uh, I think that speaks very much to the to the characters and to the writing of the show. Yes. I think, too, that as far as, like, the characters go, I think the way that they set up them into almost, like, cliques or, like, hmm, sectioned them into characters that never interact with each other that all have different mm-hmm. perspectives of the event made the why should I care and the... Dev- the reach to a diverse audience extremely effective. Like you have the townsfolk who are like, "Ooh, look at this explosion that just happened," you know, and then you have the scientists who are just like, "Holy shit, what is happening?" You have the people <laughs> on the ground, the technicians who are scientists in themselves, but are more of like the grunts, you know, being like 
traumatized and maimed and stuff like that. And so you know something severely wrong is going on. And then, of course, you have the suits and the politicians and the people vying for different company positions. And it's all politics there, right? Like competitive business politics. And that really puts health, safety, all that stuff to the side, which really sets up the tone and the objective of the show very early on. And I just love how they come at all different angles from this. It's like a piecemeal kind of narrative that gives you not a disjointed idea of what happens in Chernobyl at the first episode, but it gives you this, it gives you just enough and takes away enough information for you just to be like, what the hell is going on? And what is going to happen to all of these people, you know? Yeah, and I mean, I think that definitely speaks to the theme. I think kind of what you're talking about is this like idea of the instability of the power structure of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess, I mean, we were going to say later, but you know, that is a part of the critical reception from like Russian and so forth uh, of the show is like, it's a... It, they thought a lot of people took it as we're trying to paint Russia or Soviet Russia as like this awful villainous, which we like, have just poorly designed, I mean, and we have, and that is you know they're one of our main adversaries. So a lot of our content about Russia is going to be tainted with a little bit of American propaganda. And as long as you can recognize that and separate it from the show, yeah, I think it becomes ineffective, and so that's fine. It's when people are like, yeah, fucking. Die, Russia. You know, it's like yeah. whoa. You know, it's I don't like, think this is that long, this Chernobyl is guilty, honestly. Of that, I, I, I feel. I mean, that could be my Western bias, you know. But yeah, I'm just kind of responding to the the criticisms. Yeah, that were presented. exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think it's that way either. There's like I other films. I've seen like some of the old James Bond films with like Pierce Brosnan, like you know, just the well, of Cold course. War. Shit. Those are blatantly yeah. anti-Russian, <laughs> but yeah. So I mean, a little historical context for people who may have not 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 move. We take that. <laughs> a little historical context for people who may not know that much about this era it takes place, you know, in the mid '80s, mm-hmm. I don't early know to mid '80s. Was, yes, uh, early mid '80s during Gorbachev's. Uh, reign over Soviet Russia. Soviet Russia was pretty in- unstable at the time. And this movie is trying to just highlight one of the reasons of the instability is that men are promoted to positions of power not based on experience or knowledge of that thing, but more because of their ability to navigate the political landscape better than maybe a scientist. A scientist it doesn't can't waste their time with the Game of Thronesian style political intrigue that is required to become a, a person of power. Like in the perfect world, Legasov would be the uh, the what, the chairman of energy, mm-hmm. Stellan Skarsgård, uh, Boris Sherbina, exactly Skarsgård's character. Like in in the perfect world, Legasov would be in that position because he's the one who knows the most about it, and he would be able to avoid these things. But instead, a man, Boris Sherbina, who knows nothing about nuclear power, is in charge of this entire thing. And that same theme is just copy and pasted throughout the entire show, from the oh, lowest yes. level to the highest. And I love that you mentioned the engineers who are like getting hurt and and they're the first ones 
to know that something is actually wrong. Mm-hmm. And as you keep going up the ladder, the the event keeps getting uh, diluted. But when you keep going down the ladder, to the gruntest grunt guy is the one that's hurt the most. The first person who learns that the reactor is open and actually just spewing radioactive energy is a nobody. Mm-hmm. He's a guy, he's in this, he's in a scene for five minutes and then he dies exactly. from radiation exposure. And it's like, that's such a perfect representation of what you were talking about. Um, so I think that this is like a good point to move on to the second episode. I mean, we've already kind of touched on the second episode a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean the first episode, you know, the Chernobyl event happens. Everyone's very confused. Uh, I think it's we we just maybe want to mention Dyatlov, uh, the oh, yes. supervisor. I'm just an our villain, or just basically. our villain, just made our villain for half the show. Yeah, for half the I show. I think. For sure. Yeah, but but I mean, we're just talking like actors that can make characters that are truly hateable are very special actors in my mind. And <laughs> Paul Ritter just 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 absolutely is the epitome of that with Dyatlov. Like, oh. You fucking hate yes. him. You see the, his denial, his his treatment of his uh, of the people underneath him. Mm-hmm. It's just so, he's so full of himself. And and they do a kind of a thing where they make the, um, the lesser uh, engineers very lovable. Like Akimov and Toptanov. Yeah. You know, they're like, they're like, like lovable guys almost you like feel bad that these things are happened for them you feel like them it's like you've had everyone's had bosses that are like that you know and this guy Dietlov is just one of the most well-written villainous characters yeah he he's a real person yeah no exactly and like he just i that's the thing is that the show made me not care about the complexity of his character at the beginning he is a complex character, but through and through, I could just smell his rottenness from the beginning. And it's oh, like yeah. he plays that part with such like acidity that it makes you it makes you so angry that you want to see the retribution of justice fall upon him that you have mm-hmm. to watch the entire show. Like it you are, it makes like this pact where you're like, okay, I got to finish this cuz I just want to see this guy burn in hell, you know? Yeah. Why couldn't he be the one that looked into the reactor? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the point yeah. is that like the men who who are asking the questions are never the ones getting the answers. Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's it, in both ways. So yeah, that that's really the first episode, you know, reactor cracks open, the townsfolk kind of gather on this bridge to watch because uh, when the reactor opened and this actually happened, um, to mixed accounts, uh, air the, uh, ionized with the radiation and created kind of a, a beam of blue light. Mm-hmm. They really embellish on it in the in the show. It looks like a spotlight, it was, right? Yeah, yeah. It looks literally like yeah, like a, like an alien. <laughs> but you know, people, many people reported this blue bl- tinged beam that was like shooting out of the reactor, and people gathered on a bridge. To watch it, and a lot of the stuff that happened in this show is what really happened, in uh, as far as accounts of the event, and uh, and that's really where the episode ends is them getting peppered by radioactive ash. Yeah, and then yeah, second episode, uh, we kind of start the solution process. Yeah, like we're trying to figure out what happened and how we can. I mean, less actually what happened and more like how do we contain the emergency now. 
right? Yes. Yeah, it's a very reverse process. It's instead of like what happened, fix. It's more like fix now, mm-hmm. figure out what happened later. Exactly. And that during the process of fixing it is where like the troubles and the and the pieces don't start adding up. And that's where we introduce um, Kyumyuk's character, mm-hmm. um, Emily Watson's character Ooh. of these... She's the I, she's in like Minsk or something. She's like in a different. She's in Belarus, I believe, and she's a scientist or of some type. And she's yeah, just she's like in Belarus reading random like they just are like monitoring, I guess, like the environment. And she finds that there are spikes of radiation in the area, right? Yeah, their radiation sensor, like they are a monitoring station. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, she, they, in the middle, like the morning, they get a spike. They realize, like, well, where could that be coming from? And so she, they start calling around to the local, um, because the spike is high enough to where it has to be coming from somewhere close by. Because mm-hmm. if it was coming, she even says, she's like, he says Chernobyl, and she goes, uh, no, if it was that high, Chernobyl would have to be cracked open. Yeah. Like she knows right away. Why? So like, I, and I love that the, so much radiation too, and they exactly. And so they, she calls around to the local reactors, and they're all like, "Nope." But I hear there's something wrong at Chernobyl, <laughs> which kind of like confirms their suspicion. And they just shows a great kind of. I love when scientists. I love when characters who have a skill set are shown that skill set very quickly to the to the viewer and she uh, she's going yeah. around the sensor goes off she's like huh she goes around she uh, opens the window and she wipes the the window and it has like ash and dust on it from the explosion and then she like goes and gets it analyzed about what are the compounds and she's like okay well these compounds can only be from this reactor this chernobyl reactor and so that like confirms her fears and that is such a great show right there it's like Mm -hmm. they just kind of bam 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 they just did it and then she starts she hands him the iodine pills and that kind of starts that whole like little subplot about people like taking iodine pills and and i was like it was such a perfect little introduction for her character and then we move on and it's great no yeah it that whole scene you know from the beginning that she is an expert and that she is her little antennas are going off right like something she doesn't know quite yet what it is, but she knows that there is something severely wrong with either her readings and the machines, or there's something severely wrong with Chernobyl. And yeah, she like says that like I hope it's the machines that are broken. Exactly. Um, and I feel like I don't know if we talked about them a lot, but there is the point of the uh, firefighters. Right. Yeah. There's this subplot between this man and woman who are married, and they are. He is sent to Chernobyl to try and contain the initial fire. He doesn't. He isn't as privy to what's going on as the engineers in the control room, but he is also just as exposed to the dangers. Right. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I believe, is when he is sent to the hospital. And I, his wife, Lyudmila, or Ignatenko yeah, the, is their last name. Yeah. She yeah, finds out that he's been sent to Moscow. So he tries to, you know, figure out how she can get there to see how he's doing. Because he's being sent to Moscow to, being, to be treated. Um, yes. And I think this is... This episode is one of my favorite episodes because it's the first time... 
uh, we see the real higher powers of the Soviet Union together. We yeah. see Gorbachev, we see Sherbina, and we see Lagosov. And they're at like this council meeting, you know? And this mm -hmm. is where you start to see the friction between the state and the scientist. The nerdy scientist who's just, you know, trying to re relay facts and is so flabbergasted when the political people are just trying to be like, this isn't a big deal. We'll get over it. It's fine. And that's the core of the show, in my opinion. Yeah. No, you're you're 100% right. Yeah, the ability <clears throat> for them to show this disconnect between experts and politicians. And, and the f word flabbergasted was great because that's such a specific scene to me because they it highlights how well this show demonstrates fear. Yeah. Because this was an event that could have ended I mean a good portion of Europe Two it could have made a large of portion the world, of, maybe. Yeah. Like there's a, a large portion of Europe could have been absolutely uninhabitable and that's the best case scenario for w if it wasn't taken as seriously as it was by these scientists. And it shows demonstrates that in that scene where you know, at this point, only Hyomyuk is really aware of, like, the potential horrific uh, consequences of what's going on. Legasov believes that there is a nuclear event. Mm -hmm. And so he's sitting in that, in that kind of well-decorated, you know, hallway waiting, and he's handed the um, kind of the prompt, his, his piece of paper that tells him kind of what happened... What are the detections? What are the readings? And uh, what are they going to do about it? And he sees this specific... What is it? Like, it's that there's like boron... And sand. In No, no. Boron and sand is how they fix are trying to fix the problem. Oh. What is the... He like sees something in the, the piece of paper that like is indicative. It's like there's a particular element... Uh, Uran it's one of like the uranium compounds that they've been they mm -hmm. find in like the it's some specific compound that's in the air that could only be in the air if the core was cracked open. Yeah, it's like a it's um a leftover like a reactive element that happens when you have yeah. like a nuclear uh, event. Either way, yeah, exactly. whatever this element X is, yeah, you're right. I know. Yeah, it's just I I, I uh, you're right. I get a little lost in the details, but yeah, he, it he kind of you can see that fear setting on his face as he's reading through the paperwork. It's like, oh, this is much much worse than I thought, and that oh, transfers yeah. over to that boardroom meeting because you can see he's like trying to address the heads of state that are notorious for just getting rid of people that say shit that's oh, yeah. wrong or or just are or who are overblowing an event that could look bad to the Soviet Union. Like they just the KGB just gets rid of people. And so he's mixing that level of fear with his need to tell people like, no, this is bad. Yeah. It's, and uh, it's great. It's like the classic example of do you want to be the guy that tells someone that there's spinach in their teeth or a booger in their nose, but fear that they might just snap for embarrassing you, <laughs> you know, and just being like, Oh, thank you. Yeah. And then just take you out back and murder you later. Or do you want to be the person that said nothing? And then later on, they're like, why didn't you say anything? Okay. Now we're taking you out back and we're going to murder you. <laughs> exactly. so, there's no real. Yeah. And like, it's, I mean, it's fearing for lives because, you know, we kind of glossed over this, but you mentioned it with the firefighters is, you know, the response Nobody responded to this event 
as a nuclear disaster. They responded to it as a fire on the roof. So that's what it's called. Exactly. Yeah. The normal detachment of firefighters is sent. No, no scrub teams. They only use the dosimeters, which are what, uh, the things that detect radiation. They only use the dosimeters that they have on hand, which can only uh, go up to 3.6 oh. Ronkin, which is the Russian measurement of uh, radiation. Radiation at the time. I have no idea what it is in reference to. Could I uh, uh, but that's stop yeah. on the dust? Yeah, go ahead. Decimeter. That is. I just want to yeah. say that becomes a character in itself in the show. It's kind yep, of like the a, sound a prop, of a decimeter, right? Like, yep. and it's this this marker of is this beautiful little tool that measures not only the radiation, obviously in the real world, but for a more metaphorical view of it, the decimeter is a symbol of a measurement of everything in the show of negligence, severity of an emergency, and just the absolute disregard for like safety and then it even measures the political uh just fuck uppery i guess if we want to use up a (laughs) a word right it's like when people talk about the decimeter there's people on one side who are like well we need the good one because this one only goes up to a certain amount so there could be more and then you have some people i think the most classic line comes from Dyatlov when he's reading the decimeter and someone tells him what it is. It's the maximum rating that that decimeter can go. And he goes, not great, not terrible. And it's like this little tiny meter just breaks open the show, I feel like for me. It's just the perfect little symbol of what what is going on in the show. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't agree more. I I would say that yeah, the, I would say the decimeter eventually becomes the monster. If yeah, this, if you could yeah. take this as the mo- a monster movie, the deci- the sound of the decimeter, the, that crackling noise, mm-hmm. of the the clicking, is the the beast of Chernobyl. Because when you, anytime it goes off, it's almost like this great monster is in the room and you can't see it you can't taste it you can't or you can kind of taste it because they say the firefighters are saying do you taste metal on the air they're like i mean you can almost feel that event happening like they ask can you taste metal if you ever taste metal by the way listeners and you're by a fire just get the fuck out like <laughs> just leave that is like, not a good taste metal in general yeah <laughs> yeah and so you know they pick and then one firefighter picks up a piece of the graphite uh, because the, the 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 control rods. I hated that. that and I'm scene. not I'm not a nuclear react uh, nuclear scientist, so whatever. But the control rods are tipped with graphite because mm-hmm. it's cheaper. Apparently, they say that uh, later. And the graphite is highly highly radioactive because it's exposed directly to the radioactive elements. And so when the core exploded, it spewed these pieces of graphite everywhere mm-hmm. that are basically like just. Like just chunks of radioactive fire. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like if they, if you could see the fire that they're emitting, you would get nowhere near them, but you just can't see it. So someone picks up one of the firefighters picks up a piece of graphite, and he's like, "Huh, what is this?" And Vasily Ignatenko is like, "Whatever, who cares? Put it down. We got something. We got a job to do." Mm-hmm. And within minutes, his hand has been completely uh, like corroded with lesions and sores within minutes of touching a piece of graphite for a few seconds. 
And it's like a perfect demonstration of just how radioactive the elements that they're dealing with right now. That smoke, that's not smoke. Yeah. That's radioactive smoke. Like everything that's happening is deadly. And kind of goes back to what you're saying about the decimeter. It marks, I think almost the decimeter is like the chapter marks. Mm -hmm. You get the first decimeter that shows 3.6 or 3.9, whatever. And it's like, okay, not great, not terrible, which is a great, you, I, I'm so happy you referenced that because that's such a great representation of the whole show, mm-hmm. of the attitude of the higher ups. Is, oh, no, this is not great, but it's not terrible yeah. until it's terrible. Exactly. <laughs> then they get that second decimeter from the safe. And it's like the bigger one, it goes up to like, I believe they say like 500. Mm-hmm. And it when they, they the second they turn it on, it burns out. Yep. It doesn't even work. And, and they blame it immediately. It's faulty. On it's faulty, and they blame it on like um, some like foreign production, some like German or something. They're like East oh, German, German, maybe yeah. East. Well, yeah, they're like it's bullshit. Like they don't even take into consideration that no, the radiation's so powerful it burned it out. And it wasn't until they get the the like industrial decimeter and they tie it to the front of a truck that's shielded in lead, mm-hmm. and uh, that they get the final reading, which was. Uh, in, the, in the thousands, tens of thousands. Yeah, it was like yeah, yeah it was like fifteen thousand or something like that. Which is like, that's like me telling you that I have a, a gabulian amount of dollars. Exactly. Like it's a number that you like doesn't exist. You're like what fifteen thousand Ronkin? Like the what? We might as they well don't be even in know the how sun, to react. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're like they're like oh. <laughs> Um, and they have that great scene after they figure that when they're in the helicopter. So yeah, I was uh, going to say, this yeah. is a good time to bring in the fact that we now have, after that meeting, that meeting, yeah. Lagosov is able to kind of show or prove some urgency. So <laughs> Gorbachev makes Sherbina go, but he makes him take Dyatlov with him, which sets up, if there's any Lugosov. light part of this film, it is the relationship between Sherbina, or excuse me, TV show, it's between Sherbina and Legosov, and to a certain extent, at towards the end, Komyuk, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I love their relationship because they hate each other at first. It's this nerdy little science boy versus like this tough, hardened, presumably blue collar industrialist, you know, who has the job of the energy labor or secretary of whatever, you know? Yeah. And I love it because. You have the scientist, Lagasov, and you have the politician and Sherbina, both flying over, you know, the disaster zone. And while Lagasov is right and true and factual, Sherbina has this ability to kind of get shit done and can act on the advice of Lagasov, right? So when Lagasov tells him, this fire is serious, we need to stop this, right? This is in the second episode. He says, mm-hmm. we need to fill it with like sand and boron. And possibly, this is probably how we're, we're going to have to do it, you know? And Trebina's mm-hmm. like, okay, no problem. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, <laughs> I'm the fucking head of like the labor secretary, right? Of energy. I can get you boron. I can get you sand. I can get you concrete. And I think that it just shows a very interesting, while dysfunctional, it shows a very interesting relationship that is going to become key to solving the emergency and then to explaining what happened afterwards. And it's almost, oh, yeah. it's like a buddy story, like a buddy cop, yeah. like story thing going on here. You know, they like hate each other. I agree. They, they hate each other. And then they start calling each other by their first names. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think the moment I th- I really think that to speak to your point, the moment 
that kind of solidified that, or at least turned the scales toward the other direction, was when later they're in the helicopter. No, they're not in the helicopter. I don't know. They're talking about... Oh, they're in the hotel. And they're talking about... Uh, and and Vasily is kind of going on a rant. He's like, you know, there's there's going to be cancer. And there's going to be just like animals are going to have to be killed. Like there's so much that's going to need to be in the air. The ground is going to need to be turned up. Mm-hmm. And Sherbina asks, okay, well, what about us? We've been very close to this. Mm-hmm. And he basically, Legasov, in a very plain tone, just tells Sherbina, oh, we're going to die in five years yeah. of cancer. Yeah. We're definitely like, going to develop yeah. one of these things. Yeah, he's like he, and he's so calm about it because he's somebody that understands the the ramifications of radiation so clearly that to him it's it's as easy as A plus B equals C. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's so confident in his de- in his prognosis, and Sherbina is just blown away as a just a kind of. Like you're saying, a blue-collar, non-scientific everyman, yet in an incredibly powerful position, he's like, oh, I'm going to die in five years? He is Which I think... Respectable. Yeah. I, I like Sherbina, and yeah. at that moment, his reaction, he became more of a respectable character to me. Even- well, I think it just grounded it. Yeah, it grounded the whole situation for him. And so it's like, oh, I'm going to die? Well, we might as well get this done. Yeah, and he's... The thing about Sherbina is that what he lacks in scientific knowledge, he makes up for with an immense political savvy and navigation, right? And you see that he's like kind of, we might not see him at his peak or his prime. He's kind of probably past that. But it's like, you can see now why Sherbina was able to fall into the position that he was in, right? He's like, Legasov, like, I believe you now. I think that this is a huge emergency. He's like... But there is a way to go about this, you know, that scientists sometimes just lack the know-how of. Like, he's like, you can't just spew all these facts and this information at people where it's just going to fall on deaf ears, you know? He, like, he gives Legasov the tool to be like, he's like, you can use me in a way where we can make this matter for the Soviet Union, for the world, for everyone, you know? And we can do it in a way that will keep us safe. <laughs> from our own government. <laughs> so No, absolutely. I, I, I love Sherbina. He probably is my favorite character in, in the show. Um, oh, yeah. He's, I mean, it's Stellan Skarsgård. I, I mean, know, right? On, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be the best character, <laughs> but the best actor in the show. He was great. Yeah, no, and I think this kind of transfers into what were the true A plot and B plot of this show mm-hmm. that develops, I think. I, I'd say we're on about episode three. This is a yeah. five-episode series, by the way, yeah. so they wrap it up really quick. So we're on about episode three here, um, and it kind of develops this these two subplots. You have the containment with Sherbina and Legasov, and then you have Hyomyuk and the investigation. Exactly. The investigation begins, because basically Legasov, Sherbina, and Hyomyuk come together, and they're like, okay, the KGB now now they're the the group. Yeah, like it's now no longer Legasov and Homyuk versus Sherbina. Now they're the team that needs to figure this out, mm-hmm. and it's them against the KGB. And so the KGB has them followed, and spies being sent after them constantly. And so there's this this kind of secret meeting in one of the abandoned apartments in Pripyat, and uh, Legasov basically tells Homyuk which is, again, the representation of all these scientists, figure this out. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened, we need to know, is it going to happen again? 
they just kind of basically need to do the scientific method. And so Hyomyuk uh, leaves for Moscow in which she interviews, I mean, and this is a rough series of scenes. She interviews all of the engineers who are currently dying yes. of radiation poisoning She's trying, in Moscow Hospital. It, it's it's a great way they set up urgency because she's trying to get firsthand accounts from people who have a very limited time frame to live and who have a very limited time frame of consciousness and being able to uh, like actually elucidate what they what happened you know because their brains are literally their bodies are just rotting from radiation and it's a cool dynamic that the show sets up where that meeting that you're talking about it's like immediately like okay now we have an objective with the show the disasters happen you can't make a five series tv show about just the disaster and that's the beauty of chernobyl as a tv show i feel like at this moment in time it tells the audience this is now the new mission and you have legasov and sherbina moving forward in time like okay we need to contain the disasters that are coming which we'll talk about in a second with the miners. And then you have Kamyuk being like, okay, I will go back in time, right? And try and figure out what happened. And both directions, there is a severe sense of emergency. And I love it. Yeah. Because one is like, obviously, we got to contain this nuclear disaster. And the other one is like, I need to figure out what happened play by play through the in the past, like two days ago, and I have a very short time limit to do it because the people who are involved are dying. Yeah, and it really demonstrates, I think this was also kind of an homage to the bravery of the, of the people who lost their lives mm-hmm. in this. Because these men, Akimov, Toptanov, uh, Vasily Ignatenko, they're all dying. They're simple men and they're dying. And yet they still have the consciousness of mind. I don't think Ignatenko was able to be interviewed, actually, I believe, because he was uh, he died right before. But they all have the consciousness of mind to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And they, to be honest and forthright because they know it's, it's what needs to happen. Whereas in Dyatlov, a man who deserves to, to suffer this fate is mercilessly, or mercifully, sorry... Uh, spared because he didn't expose himself that much. So while Dyatlov still goes to the hospital for radiation, minor radiation sickness, and looks pretty shitty at one point, Mm -hmm. he rebounds. But he's the only one who won't speak. Because he knows he has something to still try to strive to live for. He knows if he sticks to his story, whatever bullshit it is, he'll be able to to maybe get out of this yeah we see him after his little episode at the beginning where he gets sick like everyone and gets sent to the hospital the first thing we see is coming comes in to interview him and he's smoking a cigarette just so casually looking out the window having a nice little day just tells her to fuck off and it's funny because you're like wait How's this guy still alive? How can he still be so nonchalant about everything? And how can he still be like sticking to his guns as far as like, no, I'm not going to tell you what happened, right? Um, And he really becomes not only then a symbol of the shittiness of the way the plant was run, he just becomes a symbol of like, no, I'm going to defend the Soviet Union until it goes down in flames. Like, but the cool part about the show is that it sets up the twist then with him right 
Yeah. Where she starts to find out, Kumyuk starts to find out that something bigger is going on here than just the engineers fucking up at Chernobyl. And something bigger is yeah. going on than just a government cover-up of an emergency. You know, you start to get the inkling of, could have this been prevented? But I don't want to spoil that before we get to the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she starts to realize that that this, exactly what you're saying, that this wasn't a, just a simple accident, that it was a... Uh, a consequence of many, 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 many factors mm-hmm. going wrong. And, and of the operative methods and the, like, MO of the Soviet Union, right? That's where the criticism yeah. of the of the Soviet Union starts to really come in. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, exactly. So, we'll, yeah, we'll get there. So, yeah, basically, it's almost perfect as far as the timing of the show when we have this meeting between the three main characters because it's almost exactly in the middle of the series. Mm-hmm. So it's a per- and then we have the the kind of sub C plot if you could call it that with um Ludmilla yeah. in Natanko and she's pregnant. This is she where it ends, right? Wants to see, yeah. About here, yeah, she's been desperately trying to see Vasily and and talk with him and she constantly is breaking protocols mm-hmm. of the hospital. She makes it in to see him. T- yeah, she makes it in to see him. She's able to worm her way in. She's able to uh, get inside the room, and they tell him, "Okay, well, just don't touch him." And she touches him. Like she does everything wrong, and because they wanted to demonstrate kind of what happens when this radiation is not just self-contained to the person, the person themselves becomes radioactive. All of these nurses who treated these firefighters are. Exposed. In some way exposed yeah. and maybe develop cancer and dilator. Like it's, it, it ripples. The ripple effect is not just contained to the engineers. It's the firefighters, then the nurses, then the family members. Then it, it, it extends like a plague outwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I mean, they show the scene where they're piling up the firefighters' uh, clothes because they strip all the clothes off them. Yeah. Because the clothes are radioactive. Those clothes are still there. They're still there in that hospital in Pripyat, um, piled up to this day, and they're still mildly radioactive. I loved that scene. And I, I've seen that photo several times of of the pile of clothes and everything. And I love how the show, I mean, this is going back a few episodes, I believe, but like when they started, the hospital started to get the flood, you know, of people coming in because of the disaster. They show like the nurses just throwing in piles of clothes and things like that and it's that's a really cool like little signpost into real history right yeah. there so yeah it's almost showing like every pile of clothes is almost like a life lost mm-hmm. it's it's this very powerful impactful moment so uh so i say it ends because this is like the going towards the end yeah. of the third episode it's it's when at least Vasily's story ends and we see him being put into the casket made out of zinc mm-hmm lowered into the ground you know and then just like so coldly just concrete poured over them and like yep. you know that it has to be done but at the same time i f- i felt such an injustice towards leah Miller. you know like I-, I felt like she she had endured so much already and to watch like the love of her life being like just such a cold metal casket and concrete being poured over it just shows you the uh i don't know just the ramifications of a nuclear disaster and how how tragic it can be on so many different levels especially when the state 
you know, that's behind you isn't being a 100% forthcoming about how to fix it. You just feel so small. Like you, I don't know that, that, that scene just made me feel like so, so small compared to the might and the power of the Soviet union. Like who do you even tell your tragedy to? No one cares. Well, it's almost like a, it's, it's, it's so metaphorical, Yeah, (laughs) but you know, it's in the sense of, you know, they're burying, uh, the, the problem. They're burying the evidence. Yeah, that's these true men, too. These firefighters who are clear representations of the first response to this event and what could have been done. I mean, there's no denying with these firefighters' death that, like, oh, well, it got radioactive later. Yeah. Or it wasn't radioactive right. It wasn't that bad right away. It's like, no, these men died immediately after getting there. Mm-hmm. Like, not immediately, but they were exposed, got sick, and eventually died within weeks of, of the event. Yeah. And, you know, they're almost burying their um, their crimes in the ground. And like, and you're totally right. It's, it's this unceremonious, heartless, cold burial for, for, for heroes, for firefighters. Yeah. And that might be my American, you know... <laughs> thing coming in there no, where we kind of no. idolize firefighters but i mean i don't know how russian did at that time first responders in unmost scenarios and levels are mm, let me take that back emergency yeah, services medical responders are usually yeah. like yeah you can it's heroic the things that they do some of them are shitty people don't get me wrong but <laughs> you know when they're at their job and they're doing their thing whatever uh yeah so that's the end of episode three and then we kind of i mean basically episode three wraps up with uh Humic's discovery of this uh paperwork that states that there is some type of fault in these rbmk reactors that apparently have no fault mm-hmm. but the pages that she needs are um abs- are been censored she can't see those particular pages she can only see like what the state wants to show her so she knows there's something that's wrong but she has no ability to find it until she brings it up to Lagasov, who goes oh yeah yeah i actually know exactly what they're talking about my colleague never thought about that my colleague wrote this paper (laughs) like and so which i thought was a funny like kind of weird little plot hook but I guess it's the idea that like these little faults are not dangerous in themselves, but when they're amplified by neglect and mm-hmm. conspiracy, they be- can become deadly. So he's ba- it's basically the paper is saying that, and I don't know the science of it, but basically there's a fault in these reactors when the power is shut off and then when the power is turned back on, the, the amount of heat or whatever mm-hmm. can't be distributed and so it builds up and then there's nothing that can contain it anymore so you, I mean they do a very elegant description of what happens yeah. on the show so, so in the, watch the show obviously in the fifth episode the va- last episode yeah. when they're at the well, hearing the fourth yeah, yeah they the it becomes very clear I don't know if it actually happened that way but the way that they describe it with the cards uh it it illustrates basically what you're saying um yeah so in this episode the fourth one, um, there is a small little introduction and another little yeah. subplot bring, brought up about a young boy who is recruited to shoot animals in the exclusion zone, which mm-hmm. um, it's not necessarily 
my favorite part of the show, but I feel like it was a very cool little subplot. Um, basically, what happens is it definitely, you got to go kill animals. It definitely had a different tone. Yeah, right? For a second, I was like, huh, I don't really know if I understand what's going on here. But I thought then that I was like, this is a cool way of showing how there was a lot of cleanup to do. There was a lot of just like, well, we're fucked. This happened. And even at like a more tertiary level of people who weren't involved at all with the explosion, they're now murdering, not murdering, but killing cats and dogs and household pets within a certain mile radius, you know? Um, it just really added to the darkness of the show, if you will. Yeah, I th- I think it kind of speaks more. I think you're talking more about like that ripple effect that we were talking yeah. about. Like it extends out so far. Like a kid who wasn't even close to the disaster. You know, he's a. I think he was like you know a uh, volunteer. Mm-hmm. In the they they like stopped using soldiers because they ran out of soldiers, yeah. so they started like conscripting kids, like you know young young men to to come and help because the cleanup effort of this disaster they go through it during one of those board meetings but you know they had to like i was saying earlier they had to turn up like a couple feet of dirt Mm -hmm. and like rip up all the trees all the animals needed to be shot uh, from deer to household pets because they were all contaminated i mean it was just you had to pretty much just like salt the earth and so this young boy comes to this like already group of hardened soldiers and uh you know, he like you're saying, it's it's an interesting subplot because he starts out very naive and very scared, but by the time we meet him again, like down the road, he's like smoking mm-hmm. and like he's haggard and he's got bags under his eyes. He's just as hardened, and like the ripple is deeper than even radiation poisoning. Yeah, it's psychological effects. Like this type of disaster destroys so much beyond just radiation and poison. It, it, it destroys people's psyches and the way they can handle them. It's just, it, it's very mortifying to be honest. Yeah, no, it, um, it takes like kind of a dark turn, but I feel like then this is where, what you were talking about before where, um, Kamiak has started to uh, undercover this event or this evidence that is then corroborated by Lagosov. Um, there's a sliver here of hope where you're it sets up the dynamic of like are the scientists going to do the right thing or are they going to succumb to the pressure of the soviet union and this is really where shabina flips in my opinion right and he's Mm -hmm. like no this is a serious issue and the fact that the soviet union knew about it just goes along with all of the ridiculous bureaucracy shit they've done before you know at the cost of human lives and you see that he's really sick of it and the fact that they show that that shows you the rot of the Soviet Union in at least the show. I'm not saying his, this is yeah. my opinion, but no, let's I be don't. honest, people. You can be as mad as you want about, you know, the way it depicts it. But the Soviet Union fell apart. <laughs> like, there's no other yeah. way to put it, right? Like, fell apart because it didn't work. Exactly. Like, I, like, mean, and like, I mean, there was some problems, obviously. This And this shows, like, the tail end. Like, we're getting into, like, the last decade of the Soviet Union. Just think about that. You know, this is like the last decade of a humongous collection of countries, cultures, peoples, and economies, you know? And this is the point where, like, Sherbina is like, fuck it, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. Like, Chernobyl was the last straw for him. And the evidence presented to him by these two scientists 
prompts him to tell them to tread carefully. But also, he shows like, hey, I'm on your side now. Like, I understand what is going on and what needs to happen, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's ties to at least what I was saying before about how... I don't know. This part really irks me. This makes me ha I hate this part, this dynamic, not because it's bad. It's great. It's perfectly written and shown. I, and it's very entertaining as far as TV shows go. I hate it because it makes it so the person who I want to see suffer the most, Dyatlov, now is like less of the blame is falling on his shoulders. <coughs> And it's something yeah. that it forces the audience to reckon with, you know, like, yeah, he's a piece of shit, but there's something bigger going on here. And that's the beauty yes. of the unraveling of Chernobyl. Yeah, there's a greater villain. You want to blame Foman and mm -hmm. um, and Dyatlov and Who's the, other guy? the other guy. Yeah, I, I forget his name. He's not here on IMDb. Um, but he, the, there are the two, like the head of the Chernobyl facility, mm -hmm. the chief scientist, and Dyatlov is like the chief engineer. Brakhanov. and Yeah, Brakhanov, yeah. And these are the three men who are like, who are being held on trial. So basically, uh, Legasov has to uh, testify that it's these three men's fault. The fact that they rushed the safety test. Mm -hmm. The fact that uh, they didn't wait for the day crew, they used the night crew, which was much more inexperienced and didn't understand how to do these type of tests. Uh, the fact that they rushed it because they wanted promotions. It was all based on promotions because if they were successful, Brokhanov would get promoted, mm -hmm. which means Foman would get promoted, which means you know, every guy, every one of these three men would move up one rung. This is when it ladder. starts like jumping back in time. Exactly. Yeah. So you're seeing like these men want to just move up one rung and to do that, they, they sacrificed thousands of lives, potentially millions of lives, mm -hmm. really, uh, as we're talking about like the after effects, just to move up one rung in a dying uh, government. And it's just so petty. And, but so this trial, so um, Legasov testifies the way they want him to, the KGB, and in doing so, they are going to reward him by promoting him. Again, it's all about promotions. Mm -hmm. Promoting him to the head of the of the research school that he uh, works at. Uh, he's going to be the new like head of the nuclear school, and like there's all this just this this promise for him. Yep. And He's during made. the trial, yeah, during the trial, you know, the and then they they have a kind of informal testimony, and then they have the big formal trial that's televised. You can actually watch this trial mm -hmm. still; it, it was all recorded. Um, it's in Russian, obviously. Yeah. So once in Vienna, uh, the first one, the little mini thing was in Vienna, and then the yeah. other one, yeah, yes, yeah, good call. Yeah, it was in Vienna, and so this one was in Moscow, the final one, and they have this big trial about like who's responsible for this and in which uh Legasov brilliantly demonstrates kind of what i was shittily trying to explain earlier about why exactly the reactor failed yeah and and i think that's a great thing they did there because they they didn't go oh the reactor failed because of this they had the the scientific reasoning for it and they could have just stopped there and that's their job as scientists yep. but they didn't it, well i mean but legasov didn't because he was convinced by sherbina of all people which i think is such a great little flip on its head mm -hmm. 
I mean, yeah, what do you think? I think that this is the moment where we see Legasov shine as the actual hero of the show. Um, I mean, he was the hero throughout, but every hero that we've seen, right, as far as we're talking about heroic actions before, everyone has kind of sacrificed something, either most of them their lives, you know, some of them their limbs, some of them their just overall health for the next few years. And this is where Legasov really is just like, you know what, I'm throwing myself in front of the firing squad. Even when he knows he's guaranteed all of the stuff from the Soviet government and the KGB, he decides at that moment in the courtroom case, I love like when he's like, I'm not done. I'm not done. And it's a little callback to when he first was giving his little speech to just the ministers and Gorbachev, you know? He was like, no, I still have something else to say. And it's a beautiful little callback at the end of the show where he's just like, no, I have to say this. Like, they didn't know that this could happen. We did, however. The government knew, and that's the moment for me where he's like, okay, this is your sacrifice, and you've become the martyr almost of Chernobyl. Even though you haven't died, it's just, I don't know. It's a proud little yeah. moment that you have for the, the main hero, who throughout the show has been kind of beaten down <laughs> and like pushed around, yeah. you know, and then slowly is given this chance because of Komyuk and Sherbina. They kind of give him the room to be able to be like, okay, go ahead and do this you know and he and he covers for them he tells them later he's like they didn't know i was gonna do this yep no it's it's actually really it's empowering because i i mean i touched on it for a second for a second but like the reasoning that Legasov decides to reveal the why chernobyl exploded uh as far as the government kind of negligence factor and not just the inherent fault of the system is he has that beautiful scene with Sherbina and they, they're, they're in recess mm -hmm. for the court and he's, uh, Sherbina's sitting outside and they sit next to each other and Legasov basically says like, you were the only man that could have got this done. Mm -hmm. Like he gives all the credit to Sherbina. He goes, I'm just a scientist. I could have said what I said and they could have ignored me and everybody could have died. Exactly. But you were the, you were the only person that could have helped me get it done. So he's like, you're the real hero here. He, because Sherbina kind of feels responsible because he's part of this greater government that has caused this issue. And uh, there's that great little scene where Sherbina basically reveals that he has like a year left to live. Yep. Like the cancer has already kind of hit him. Because the series, like the, the event itself takes place over a certain amount of time, but the entire investigation, it takes place a month, couple months, and then eventually like a year after the event. Yeah. So the, they've all had time to kind of feel the effects of whatever's happened. And, you know, Trevina is older than most of the other characters. Mm -hmm. So he basically coughs into a cloth with his blood on it. And he goes, you know, I got about a year. And, uh, yeah, Legasov basically like gives him his like little salute, and then he holds out his hand. There's like a little caterpillar crawling on his hand. I just thought that was a weird moment of color. Mm -hmm. Like they almost would turn the saturation up on that scene. It was like this level of clarity. Like this, the caterpillar was so green and so bright against his hand. And yeah, I don't know. It was almost like he was seeing. You were seeing the world like go. Like, like transfer into a better place Cause, eventually. Exactly. Cause like, that's what I mean by their little sliver of hope, right? Like 
where it's like obviously the show's a disaster show. It's about something terrible that happened. But the end and this is what I didn't know about about the disaster, you know, cuz like you said there's a whole like mythos and like folkloric nature to the exclusion oh, zone. Oh yeah. And what you find out is that it's the actions of many scientists and composited into Kamyuk, the actions of Legasov and the inaction of Sherbina. And I don't mean that in an offensive way. I mean it more in the way of yeah. like, he's like, you guys need to go and do what you need to do. He didn't do his job exactly. as a government. Yes, man. exactly. And he's like, I won't, you know, I won't stop you. I won't say that you guys are going to do anything. I'll let you guys speak to the world. Right. And we'll face the consequences together. And that little caterpillar is like, okay, this is the, this is the way out. You know, the truth will set you free type thing. And yeah, it's, I don't know. I, that, I, I guess we are kind of getting towards the end here, but I love that when they made the show, they didn't make it into like the mythology, folklore, creepiness aspect of like the exclusion yeah. zone. Because at first I thought it was like a horror sci-fi show. When I first saw like yeah. the previews and I heard oh, yeah, people the, talking yeah, about it, you can see it. the title card mm -hmm. as well as like the guy with the gas mask mm -hmm. and everything and the sprayer. Yeah, he definitely has that that tone where it could be like a a stalker video game or type show. Yeah. you know, which there's there's plenty of the mythos like you're saying in other mediums. Like what we needed, I think is kind of what you're trying to say here is this type of show about Chernobyl. Yeah, kind of this grounded tell me what happened in 500 words or less and tell me what happened in five episodes or less. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like a short essay about Chernobyl, but just beautifully, beautifully made. And there's a lot of great mythos that surrounds it. You know, I'm a big lore person. I mean, there's, there's a lot of interesting, you know, uh, conspiracies about how there are, you know, genetically or radioactively altered people mm -hmm. that live. Hills have eyes type there thing. Yep, there are, there are actual living people that have moved back to the exclusion zone, uh, and they have their own name in Russian. I forget what it is, uh, and they have little communities <laughs> that they've set up there because they're trying to like take because this used to be their home because Russia promised these people that they would be able to come back to their home, and they've never been able to return. And a lot of these people were displaced for years, and so some of them came back. So there's a, there was a whole kind of thing where like Russia was trying to kick people out of the exclusion zone again, and that was a whole uh, piece. I mean, the the event itself, like the reactor to this day, is still incredibly radioactive. Mm -hmm. uh, it produced its own element called Chernobylite, <laughs> which is a uh, an element that humans have made. It's a composite of all the all the shit that melted out of the core. And all the bedrock and sand and borium and everything like that has melted into this blob called the elephant's foot, which is very famous. Yeah. It's incredibly radioactive, probably the most radioactive thing on the planet. So there's uh, there's an incredible amount of uh, uh, physics breaking and strange stuff to interest the mind mm -hmm. as far as this disaster. But it's almost like the show showed that the actual story itself is just as, if not more interesting. Yeah, it's just as compelling, right? And yep. it's, um, th this is where I wanted to bring up the difference between television now and film, cinema, where 
There are so many things to tease out of the story, and so much breadth and depth to television now. That isn't just, you know, just like fucking commercials and just blasting your senses with whatever will make the most money and get the most viewers. That you have these very delicate and beautiful stories now that like, it just reminds me of an, a five hour long, six hour long movie, right? Exactly. It's not like, I don't know. And I think that where we are in television today, being the cinephiles that we are, it's perfect for us, for people like us, what? right? Like, well, I agree. Yeah, I think that I think we're, that on this series that people can expect to see a lot of these types of shows, these five episode, ten episode shows. Yeah, that because we always say when a movie can't touch all the details, like a movie like Dune yes. or something like that. We have to break it into multiple movies. Mm -hmm. We have to say, okay, if you want us as the studio to give credit to the source material, we have to make it in multiple movies because there's just too much material for even three hours. Exactly. So these shows almost completely step over that limitation. They go, no, we're going to tell the whole story yeah. wall to wall, detail to detail, and we're going to do it in five hour long episodes. Exactly. And it's a five hour movie. And you can watch it at your pleasure, and then we break it up into pieces so that way you don't feel like you've stopped halfway during the page. If I can use like a book reference, no, exactly. um, you know, it, it just does its job perfectly. And I and I think I agree, Alex. I think these are these are the types of shows that are made. I not made for, but attract a lot of people who enjoy film. Yeah, because you're able to kind of eat the movie, digest it. Or eat the show, digest it, and then that's it. It's done. It's not 19 fucking seasons long. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, we're not talking about shows like that. You know, there are some great shows that are multi-season, but they have the same tone. Where it's like, it's a slog to get through them because they're fleshed out and detailed and alive. And they have this body of existence that just is... That movies aren't incapable of doing. It's just like, TV is now the novel. The film novel and movies are the short story both mediums are beautiful but the fact that tv has now been able to overstep that limit that you're talking about opens the doors for so many possibilities for good cinematic art now i will say tv lacks a little in the cinematography aspect because it's hard to do yeah. that in a show where you're just like i need I need you to just tell me the story. You know, I, I can't deal with all of the like cool film techniques that I would like to in a show. I think my favorite part about TV and where it makes up for and is superior to film is the acting. Whereas you can have an actor like Jared Harris, Emily Watson, or um, Skarsgård have mm -hmm. five hours long worth of like just craft like master craft acting you know where it's like in film sometimes i feel like yeah you, you have roles and things like that where you're like whoa this actor was able to do so much but if i'm an actor i'm looking to tv shows nowadays where it's like where i want to really oh, yeah. show my chops you know like and that's the most beautiful oh, yeah. it's, part it's about totally it. switched like yeah it's totally switched now like doing these long these like short form television shows yeah are almost as alluring as doing movies depending on who you talk to yeah exactly where it's like I, I don't know i'm to hate to bring up another show now but i'm watching rewatching peaky blinders 
and mm-hmm. there are some guest appearances in it where I'm used to actors that are in movies that I love. So Killian Murphy is obviously the main character, but Tom Hardy is in the mm-hmm. show. And there yeah. are extended periods of acting that I've seen from Tom Hardy that I've not been able to catch in movies. And I'm like, this just looks so fun. It looks like you're having so much fun and it's so captivating that I feel like, I don't know. I go to TV shows nowadays for watching people act in these long and extended roles where they can really build and sink into a character, you know? Yeah. They can, they can wear that character skin Mm -hmm. and breathe. In it. Yeah, there's a there's another Tom Hardy movie. Uh, actually, we keep saying movies. <laughs> uh, Tom Hardy show that I wanted to recommend for this segment. So uh, we'll talk about it off mic. But, Perfect. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think we've definitely talked about Chernobyl. Yes, uh, it's a fantastic show. Five episodes on HBO. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this, you've probably watched yeah. it. But uh, you know, watch it again. Exactly. But yeah, fantastic show. Near perfect. Uh, acting, sound, score. I mean, I mean, we've there's a lot of things we've missed. You know, the minors we didn't talk mm-hmm. about. So I apologize if we miss things. That, but uh, you can be assured that they're all appreciated. Exactly. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Mm-hmm. Yep, I appreciate everyone coming out by and checking out our new segment. And uh, this is Real Weirdos signing off. Have a good one. Now our podcast is done, and we have to run. We know it is sad, but we had so much fun. Don't be bereft, Jesse, Alex, and Jeff. We'll be back real soon. The Real Weirdos. We talk about movies for way too goddamn long. Boo 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 boo.